30 years ago, Joanna, Doug, and I met at the University of Virginia's Darden Business School. Now, after years of experiences, we are visiting with our classmates to ask, if you could have a beer with your younger self right after graduating with your MBA, what were the key decision points in your career path? What advice would you provide? And what are the stories behind the lessons? Our guest today is David Richardson. After Darden, David moved back to his home city of Louisville, Kentucky, where he lives today. His vast career spans 30 years in banking, accounting, corporate leadership, and as an entrepreneur. David and his team at Learning House successfully sold the company to a private equity firm about 10 years ago. The company was subsequently sold again to the large U.S. publishing company, Wiley. Our discussion with David is filled with tons of practical wisdom, including his bias for hiring people with a demonstrated ability to execute on a company's growth plan. Please join me in welcoming David Richardson. Well, let's let's kick this thing off and get started, um, David. It's it's so awesome to have you here and to have us all together, our you know, uh, classmates from many many years ago. And as you know, as we talked about in the in the you know in the discussion prior to today in the email, we uh, we started this podcast idea, you know, probably what, four or six weeks ago, um, you know, with the idea that we wanted to go in and mine all the wisdom, you know, from our class that we've acquired over the last 30 years. And, and, you know, and we kind of tee this thing up with the, with the idea that, Hey, if we could go back in time and have a beer with our former self when, you know, when when we each of us was graduating from Darden, you know, what are the things we would tell ourselves, you know, as far as career advice, life advice, business advice, lessons learned, all that sort of stuff. And so it's been a fun journey these last few weeks as we've interviewed our classmates. And, you know, one of the things I think I've learned as much as anything is how diverse our class is. I mean, it may not look that diverse, but when you look at our um, when you look at our journey since Darden, they couldn't be you know more uh, all over the map. And so, we're happy to have you on, and um, we'll just let you start off by telling us a little bit about your you know your career path, the arc of your career since since we graduated together. Okay, thank you, Doug. I appreciate it, and thank you all for inviting me to be one of the first few podcasts. I look forward to, to the evening here with you all. Um, yeah, I uh, graduated University of Tennessee with a finance degree in 87 and spent five years with Wachovia Bank in commercial lending in Atlanta. And while at Wachovia, it was very apparent that UNC Chapel Hill and Darden School were sort of dominating the management ranks in the bank. And although I didn't really want to go be a career banker, um, it did sort of uh, resonate with me that maybe I should go back and get an MBA if I want to move forward, if I want to stay in this banking world. And um, Virginia was was uh, top on my list. So I applied to several schools and after five years of working in banking and got into Virginia, didn't, did not get into the other schools. Um, 
but I'm, I'm kind of glad I didn't in a way. Uh, UVA, Darden worked out really well and um, graduated in 94 with you all. So we know the timing there um, and went to work for Coopers and Labran. And I think Joanna went to Coopers and Labran too, if I remember. Um, was a little bit of an odd selection because I went into the assurance division at Coopers and Labran, which is the audit side. It's the other word for audit. And I went to Louisville, Kentucky, my hometown. And those were both sort of unusual. I didn't go to New York or Washington or Atlanta or any of the big cities that were really uh, drawing a lot of the Darden graduates. I just um, had a goal to get back to my my hometown um, and I and I did, and, and it was a good decision. It's it's a trade off, like everything. Every every big decision, maybe even every small decision in life, is or trade offs of one way or the other. And so it was a trade off, and it was a trade off that I'm I'm happy I made. Moved back to Louisville, worked in audit for Coopers and Lab Brand for only a couple of years. Got my CPA, kind of did it backwards. Got my CPA after my MBA, um, but. It was very, um, very educational, learned a lot uh, in public accounting, did not like the culture of Coopers and Labran, which is PricewaterhouseCoopers today. Um, the culture at Wachovia was amazing. It was, as you can imagine, a more um, genteel corporate business culture. What uh, Coopers and Labran was, was, a, was a firm. Uh, a hierarchy, a pyramid, and those are horrible cultures, in my opinion. And um, most people churn out of them, and I did, and I'm glad I did. So I ended up going with one of our clients and worked as a controller for a couple of years in Lexington, Kentucky, commuted from Louisville over to Lexington. And um, was that the was that was that the high speed access? No, Deal. there was a that lot came later. In fact, one of our classmates at Darden kind of tipped me on the opportunity. Um, it was a lock company, a high technology lock company called Moss Hamilton, and it's still the highest technology um, electronic combination lock in the world, primarily sold to the government, U.S. government. And I worked there for a couple of years. It was an independent company. And I was, I was trying to make my way at that stage to work for smaller companies. I was really torn for several years, including before Darden, during Darden, and after Darden, as to whether I should be with small companies that I own and I control or big companies that um, provide security and provide all the various benefits that people tend to want to look for. And it was hard. It was a hard decision to, 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 to sort of reconcile that over the years. And, and uh, my father had been a big corporate person. Um, my grandfather was big corporate, but then he did businesses on his own later in life after leaving Texaco. But my, grand, my father was in banking. I followed my father into banking, but I never really wanted to be in a big company. And, and so I had to figure out how to get out of this big company culture that I got into. Darden was a big company culture, by the way, back then. I think it's changed a little today, but it, it was a pipeline into big companies. Um, that Those are the kinds of um, uh, companies that you know uh, hired Darden graduates. The little companies didn't come to Darden. So mm -hmm. I was getting, I was trying to transition and I transitioned with that move to the lock company 
stayed there for a couple of years. It was kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> and then um, did a few other things. I was in I was in a staffing business that I bought, actually, a, a, a financial staffing business that I owned. I ran um, several companies kind of as hired guns, if you will, for people that needed sort of turnaround work. And uh, I enjoyed that. I really enjoyed um, working in the trenches for smaller companies where I really was controlling my, my destiny. And ultimately, I wanted to own my own. And that was what I was trying to do, not just working for people, not being just a hired gun, but actually finding a company that I could own and control um, and then eventually sell and exit was really the goal from the beginning of, um, you know, I say from the beginning, you know, I, I wrote down, I tried to look for it for this meeting, but I couldn't find it, but I will. I, I wrote down goals back since I was probably 10 or 12 years old, um, back when I used to have a lawn mowing business, a pretty big lawn mowing business. And the goal was to own a small manufacturing company in America that had a national customer base. I didn't want to own a manufacturing company that just sold, you know, like an HVAC company or something that just sold locally. I wanted something that sold their products and that mm -hmm. made their products and that sold them nationally. I didn't, I didn't know that our uh, everything was going to be services when I got into business. I didn't know anything about technology or internet back then. Um, so I didn't know to articulate that. But um, that was my goal. And eventually I got there um, by purchasing uh, the Learning House, um, which is an online education company that I bought with um, some other investors. And they had about a dozen employees. And um, I'm not exactly sure if you want me to continue or you want to stop. And Well, well I, I, what I noticed about the Learning House, it was so ahead of online learning like that online learning was not it was there in 2007 but it wasn't at the level it's at now right yeah and uh, actually the company was founded by university of louisville professor uh in 2001 and if you think in 2007 when when i acquired the company it was early in 2001 it was really early and it was mm -hmm. it was the devil back then um Nobody wanted it really. Our customers, which were small private nonprofit colleges, made basically these faith-based colleges all around the country. Small private colleges are almost all started by a church or faith. Um, they were our customers and they, they would do business with us because they needed revenue, they needed students. And we were a really good solution to help them generate enrollments. And so they got into it and I um, was able to grow the business very aggressively in under four years and sold the business uh, to a private equity firm about four years after, after I did the deal to acquire it. And then prior to selling it, we spun out another company called Capture Higher Ed and I still am a large shareholder of that. And we haven't sold that yet, um, but um, the whole um, experience of, of running Learning House and growing Learning House and founding Capture was really kind of what I had articulated or as a goal very early on, many, many years earlier. How did you, um, 
David, how, how did you find the learning house? Was it serendipity or, or was it a search? Or how did Yeah, you- that's a great uh, question. I'm having to scoot over here because I've got the sun coming in and I didn't shut my window, <laughs> uh, my shade. <laughs> but um, no, Tom, it was um, it was really, really hard work and turning over a lot of rocks for many years and looking under them and trying to decide whether the business that I was evaluating was something I wanted to be involved with, whether I could afford it, whether I could put together a deal. Um, So you were, so you were looking, Yeah, you were looking while you were working. I was looking probably from the time I got out of Darden really from, because I knew if I didn't like Coopers and Librarian, the audit side that I knew I would see a lot of companies and I would get, kind of behind the scenes in a lot of companies. And, and that's exactly what happened. I didn't like it, and but I did see a lot of businesses. It was very fascinating. I was in the um, EAS group, which was Entrepreneurial Assurance Services, which worked with small companies. Now, small companies for Coopers and Ladbrand were still pretty big companies, but it was not like I, I wasn't on the Brown Foreman job. I wasn't on the Humana job here in Louisville, which were our two big marquee jobs. I was on the smaller jobs that that you wouldn't recognize the names in most cases. So I was starting to look and really looked at a lot of businesses over the years, a a ton of businesses from my banking experience to my CPA experience. Um, How did did you source those at that time, you know, through Coopers or through? Back in those days, it was networking in, in Louisville and the Louisville Venture Club and different networks around town in their kind of early stage venture community, which was really pretty nascent here in town and loosely organized. But we have a city of about a million people and we had a decent early stage sort of venture backed um, private equity. Well, it wasn't private equity. It was angel investor backed community. And I really networked in that. And Mm. that's one of the fundamental principles that, that, that worked for me. I was always networking, always had my business cards in my top pocket and always passing them out and uh, looking for opportunities and talking to bankers and lawyers and talking to people. And I never really liked what I saw. So nothing ever really looked great. It's just it, 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 even the learning house when I bought it, nine out of 10 people would never have bought it. It was a dog little business in a no in an industry that nobody knew about. And it was really a messy little nothing in a horrible office building in downtown Louisville. And um, a number of people had looked at it. It was very low profile, though. It had not sort of been shop worn, if you will. Not not many people really were talking about it, fortunately. But 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 it wasn't an easy decision. It wasn't an easy decision at all to um, to pull the trigger. Um Six months earlier, or even a month earlier, if you would have said online education to me, I would have said, what is that? What is online education? I don't even know what that is. And I got into that business. And, um, did, and did you have to round up a, a bunch of money for that? Or did you? you know, so we you paid the it? owner um, what he asked. We paid him um, $2 million, uh, the asking price. And um, I thought that it was a pretty good deal. Didn't really want to negotiate that. He ended up selling us 90% of the company. Um, He ended up financing um, a decent portion of the 90%. So doing the math, I didn't need to come up with much more than a 
a little more than a million dollars. Um, I put up more than half of it and I raised the other, the other half and I ended up wiring money back uh, um, the day after closing. I had people giving me more money than I needed. I, 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 fu- I funded it all in about a week. Um, it was, it was just a no brainer through, through business associates or friends and family. Angels, angels. Yeah. yeah. Friend, some that were, it was almost about who I was dealing with that week because I skipped over a few people that I should have included. And I included a few people that I'm not exactly sure why I did. It just <laughs> sort of happened to be, they happened to be in my presence that week and they got yeah. in. Yeah. Don't, I, don't, I, don't. That sounds like another classmate of ours. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, that's, well, that's interesting. And yeah. one of the key yeah. things, though, that I that really worked for me is I had just worked for a company uh, prior to that called rentalhouses.com. And it basically was an Airbnb before Airbnb was invented. We rented houses all around the country on a job, on a, on a listing site. Um, and I had a partner there that I hired into that business. And he became my partner in learning house and capture. And that partnership worked out, worked out real well, um, especially at rental houses and at, and, and at learning house. And um, so the two of us were able to do, to do really well at rental houses where we were not equity owners, where we were hired guns. We made money for these people that had these angel investors that really didn't do anything more than put money in the business. We made a lot of money for them. We sold the business, sold it to Prime Media, which was a subsidiary of KKR. And then we looked at each other and we said, we want to do this again. We just want to be the owners. We don't want to make money for other people like this. We want to do it for ourselves. And Steve stayed with the business. Um, I left uh, and went out and looked for a business and took about six months because I was doing it full time. And I took it back um, and we we both decided we were going to do this. This was this was obvious. We needed to do it. And we pulled the trigger and it just took off like a rocket. So he was your he was your part he was your partner. As yeah, well. he was my um, chief operating officer, um, number two in the business, and was very helpful operationally and from a operations and technology perspective. And was it you know what kind of business was it? I mean, and I'm thinking kind of like you know was it a technology driven business? Was it a sales driven business? Was it a you know sales to consume you know business to consumer or business to business you know what? Just yeah, what so that's a really good question, Tom. For Louisville, Kentucky, it was a technology company. For California, it was not a technology company. We were we were a services company, sort of powered by some technology. Um, a lot of open source technology, some proprietary, but mostly open source uh, software. And uh, but but basically, we we were uh, providing services. We were putting together um, curriculum. We were putting together marketing services and um, learning management systems. LMS, it was called back then. Blackboard is probably what you think of today, but it was just. Um, an open source LMS. Um, And eventually that business evolved pretty fast uh, into uh, digital marketing uh, for higher education. So that's what the learning house is today. And that's what it became only a few years after I bought it. All of the other services 
almost all of them, not all of them, the schools uh, took over and the schools felt like the services we were providing, like curriculum management, learning management systems were, were part of their sort of fundamental domain. And they would, they would slowly come in and sort of unbundle what we had bundled. And, um, and so what they couldn't unbundle and what they still have never unbundled is the acquisition of the marketing and, 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 and acquisition of, of students. They're always looking for more students. Most schools in America are so looking you, for more. So when you sold the business, uh, that was where your revenue stream was was yeah and one of the reasons we sold it is we were we were moving more and more into that uh realm which which required investing large sums of capital early into the schools to market the schools and then you would actually make the money on the back end of the contract um five ten year contracts we didn't really have the capital to put in in those early years um well as an independent company we couldn't put that capital that was needed to market those schools as this business, um, OPM business, it became known as the online program management business. That term wasn't even coined until I'd sold out. Um, we couldn't we couldn't fund the, 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 the contracts that we were getting and, and execute on those the way we needed to, the way the industry was moving. So we needed to sell to a private equity, we sold to a private equity firm in Greenwich, Connecticut, some great partners that had a deep pocket and really grew it and grew it aggressively. Um, I sold it in 2000, I bought it in 07, sold it in 11, and then the private equity guys sold it to Wiley, the publisher in 2018. And I ran the company for a couple of years under them, um, which was which was um, not a pleasant experience necessarily. They were good operators. But, you know, when you work for yourself and you have total control, basically, it's no fun to go work for a private equity firm. Uh, it doesn't matter who they are, really. I wouldn't have liked them. And I didn't. And I lasted about two, um, about two years in a three-year contract. But when you sold it, you retained some equity. Yeah. So I, similar to the founder that I bought the company from, Dr. Denzel Edge, who kept 10% when I bought the company from him. When we sold to private equity, he got more for his 10% than, than I gave him for his 90. Um, and I was forced to keep um, an equity stake when the private equity guys bought me out. I bought everybody else out. And um, that ended up being a really good a right. good deal for me because we sold in 2018. Um, it's public. We sold it for $200 million in 2018. So that worked out for, for me, similar to how it worked out for the founder. Right. Right. David, looking back, you know, to, to 07, when, when you guys, uh, when, when you bought this company, yeah. you, you probably looked at, you know, upwards of 500 companies before you bought the one yes. you did. What, what was it about it? What was, you know, looking back, what was it about yeah. it that made this one, you know, the one? Well, Doug, it was doable. It was doable. Most of the companies I looked at were probably pipe dreams. You know, I wasn't really going to buy a lot of them that I looked at. I couldn't afford, right. I couldn't afford them. They were more traditional manufacturing companies, which was kind of wired into me. Midwest metal benders, if you will, is what I used to think about. Um, I didn't really 
aspire to have a technology business or a services business, but um, it was, it was just a, it was a, it was here in Louisville. Um, I found it, it was doable. The seller wanted to sell. Oftentimes uh, people who own companies act like they want to sell and they don't really want to sell. They just want you to tell them how good their business is. Right. Right. They want to hear how good looking they are, but they don't really want to sell. So I found a lot of that. Uh, in fact, I, one of the best businesses I ever found was a veneer company in New Albany, Indiana, across the river. And the guy ended up just not wanting to sell. I found that company in the classified section of the Courier Journal, um, you know, before the internet was anything. And uh, back in the mid nineties, and then I got really close. I was going to do the deal and the guy balked and he never sold it. And to this day, I followed him. He has never sold the business. You know, there's, there's, <laughs> there's such a slot, small slice of, of businesses that you can buy, like, you know, where if you go too small, you're buying a job and it's really hard to get out of the job phase. And if you go too big, then you can't do it yourself. And now you're working for a private equity guy, which you yeah. don't really want to do either. So, you know, the you time know. you're exactly right. And I was very focused on not wanting a lifestyle uh, business. And um, I remember talking to Doug about this a lot because I, um, I just didn't want a lifestyle. I wasn't going to do that. I wanted to really grow something and sell it. I didn't need to build another Humana, our big hometown company here in Louisville, but I wanted to build something of value and, and exit as opposed to a lifestyle. So you're right. It, it's very, very difficult to align um, what what one is looking for with what is available in, uh, in the market, especially if you, if you, if you focus on a city, I, I really didn't want to do this in Cincinnati or Nashville or Indianapolis. And they're all pretty close to Louisville. I wanted to do it right here in Louisville. And um, it was difficult, but uh, there were a lot of reasons not to do that deal when I did it. Um, it was pretty, it was, you know, it was, it was, there were some tough times and I sort of wondered what I had done, but um Learned pretty fast that the value was there the day I bought it. I made money the day I bought it, basically. And then it grew from there. You kept saying about what, what I'm curious about is you keep kept saying I wanted to build something. Yeah. And it's and and I get it. Like you buy too big, you're 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 getting too busy. It's a great description, Tom. And then you're owned by the Connecticut guys, right? Right. Now. But you kept saying I wanted to build something. Where where does that come from for you? Was yeah. Your, like what what's what's that motivation? Did you do you st and and what are you doing with it now? Because I'm seeing your presidency of another company. So yeah, I'm running a small medical device company today, more or less to do something and kind of stay in the game because I don't want to be fully retired. I think that's sort of um, I, I like to to stay sharp. I'm not sure I'm still sharp, but I'm, I like to not be dull, if you know what I mean in business. I like to be in the game. So um, I, I, I don't know, Joanna, I just from a little from 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 when I was young, I, I, I was very ambitious and had a lawn business and had employees. Well, I had one or two from time to time. And I just always wanted to own my own thing and and, mm -hmm. and grow it and build it and I, I think if I didn't go to college, I would have probably 
had an HVAC company or plumbing company or something and probably had a hundred trucks or, you, you know, I, I just, that was just in me, the sort of entrepreneurial spirit. It was not in me to work for big corporate America. I don't really like to, to um, trust them and wait is sort of what I think of when I think of big corporate America, it's like, trust us and wait. I'm not patient and I don't trust them. Um, never did. And so I had to go out and do something on my own and I don't regret it. I'm really happy that I did it. I would probably do it almost the same way. If I had to do it over again, I'd come back to Louisville, Kentucky. I would, I, I, I don't know that I would do much of it differently. Um, in all, in all honesty, I think there's, when you talk about, um, the question Doug posed earlier, of what would you say to yourself if you go back 25 years or more? The implication is that you would tell yourself to do things differently. I guess that's the Im implication in the question, right? I don't know that I would tell myself to do much differently. In all honesty, I would, I would probably tell myself to go back and learn how to play golf and maybe enjoy, <laughs> and maybe enjoy it a little more along the way. Um, but that wouldn't be a strong recommendation. That would just be a, on the, on the margin, the details, if you will, like, you know, I'm, I'm one of these oddities. I've played like three rounds of golf in my whole life. Um, and sometimes I wish I knew how to, you know, play golf. Um, but I wouldn't go to New York. I would, I would, I, 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 I might get out into small business sooner. I might've, you know, skipped Wachovia. I might have even skipped business school and just said, go out and do something earlier, sooner, faster, if that's really your passion. That might be something I would say, but it's hard for me to, to know because, because I really valued that five years at Wachovia and I valued my two years at Darden. So I, I can't really dismiss either of those in, in any way. Well, you know, the when I was in business school, and I think I've told this story already at least once on as we've been talking, is is that you know I took the starting new ventures with John Glenn, and and at that time I was like jonesing to go out to you know the Bay Area and you know do the startup thing and all that, and he gave me the I think the best advice and the advice that I that totally went over my head. Um, um, was that, you know, look, if you should do that, absolutely. You should go work in a startup and you should definitely do that, but you should go to a big company first. And yeah. I say that when I go back to school, I say that to, to all the students and, you know, what, what we've heard even, you know, and the data set we have so far is, yeah, Darden was a pipeline to big school, to big companies. And, um, you know, the majority of our classmates, you know, went to big companies. Right. They didn't stay there for very long, but man, mm -hmm. they learned a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and, I, and I don't know that, I don't know that you would be, have been, I submit that I'm not sure. No, I think you're right. Um, unless you're, unless you actually get the, you know, you know, there's so much you can learn from that. I agree. And bad. by the way, I give that same advice out. And I think I see a lot of these millennials today kind of skipping right into the entrepreneurial world with like zero credentials and experience and knowledge. Um, so yeah, I think, I think you're right. I, I totally agree with what you're saying is you get a lot. I, 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 I learned a lot working um, for five years and then going 
to Darden and then working for a couple more for a big company, almost, almost 10 years, if you will, in sort of the big company world. You know, well, well, you know, when, 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 when doing things, you know, what, what I have, what I've, what I've kind of come to is that, you know, knowing what success looks like is really beneficial. You know, when you're, when you just walk into a situation and you're like, I don't know if this is good or bad. I don't know if this is performing or not performing, but yeah, what's good, you know, and that does. No, you're right. You're right. Because I remember looking at some companies and having an instinct that uh, one of them was furniture company. And I I did do a furniture business, but I, I passed on another furniture company uh, and I'm glad I did. I passed on a company that made gloves. Um, that company was being put out of business by China. I would have bought into nothing if I bought it. So I, I, I didn't like know exactly what was good to your point, but I was learning as I looked at businesses. I was learning and as I was in business and out in business working, I was learning what was not good. Because I'll tell you, it, I, one of the fundamentals in business that's been valuable to me is to not what you do, it's what you don't do. Um, every day in a business, you've got to make a lot of decisions of what not to do. And, and that's one of the things I've always told the teams that I'm around is we can't do everything. Lots of people want to do everything. They're, they've got everybody has ADD to a certain degree, I think. Nobody wants to do the boring stuff over and over again every day. The stuff that makes companies very valuable. People don't want to do that. They want to do new things. They want new ideas. They want to come to the table and think something up new. And I'm like, no, we're going to do exactly what we did yesterday. We're going to stay focused. And it's boring. You're right. But it's called value, valuable. And um, so you got you to gotta draw the line and, and say no on a, on, a lot of, on a lot of things. And that, I think, has helped me. That's part of my focus. I'm very focused in business. I'm very focused on execution, um, and I'm very focused on the stuff that's that's really bores other people. I don't I don't value ideas. I know that sounds pretty harsh, but um, the first thing you might think of is, "Wow, that ideas are America is all about ideas." But well, we are, but there's a lot of bad ideas too in business. There's a lot of bad, <laughs> you know, and the good ones. Yeah, I'll agree with you. The good ideas are great. Those are the ones everybody thinks about. But it's like, I value execution. I value focus and execution in business. I don't value the person that comes to the table and has a million ideas and doesn't want to deliver and execute on anything. So I've always just been about focus and execution, and I dismiss ideas. That's just sort well, of... You know, once, 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 once you land on that idea that is getting traction, you know, that's when you put gas on the fire and really, you know, mash on the gas on that idea. Exactly. And, and, and it's different for startups perhaps than, um, you know, companies that have some revenue and have some traction where you can start to see how the market's reacting. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Mm -hmm. I know with early ideas, with early, early stage ventures, oftentimes you have a technology and you're trying to figure out where the, you know, if there's a market for that technology, right. Right. But, but in the case of learning house and some of the other companies, you know, you've been a part of, when you come into the business and it's got, say, a million or two in revenue, 
it's obviously doing something right. And, you know, my observation from you, David, is your one of your unique gifts is seeing that one million com- one million dollar revenue company that's a ten or twenty million dollar revenue company in disguise. It just needs execution and hard work. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you're right. And that 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 was apparent um, when I started looking under the hood a little bit at at Learning House, we did a lot of due diligence. I'm I'm an analyst, um, sort of at heart, but but my gut informs my head, not the other way around. My my gut has the last say, and my head my 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 head is analyzing things all the time, and then my and then and then you know shipping that information to my gut, and my gut is like, what are you what are you going to do? You're going to do it? You're not going to do it? And I, I, I trust my gut always, always trust my gut. Um, but we did a lot of uh, analysis and the more we did, we were like, oh my God, this is a nice little business. This guy's asking a good price. We're going to pay him and we're going to be off uh, to the races and it's going to be scary, but we're going to do it. And that's what we did. That was, that you, and, that was you and your, your, we, you and Steve. Steve, me and Steve, my partner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He sounds David, like... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, you finished that thought, Tom. Well, I, you know, uh, I, I, um, my, um, what I've seen is it's it's interesting to s- m- many people um, are the most successful in in pairs or small teams. Yeah. You know, it's pretty. I think it's. I think at least for for me without having a partner trying to do a startup just by myself, it's pretty, pretty hard to stay on task. And, and, you know, it's, it's easy to make excuses. And yeah, Tom, we, I would have told you prior to this experience at Learning House that I was not in favor of partners or partnerships. It was kind of taught to me at an early age that they don't work. Um, and I still think that to a certain degree, to be honest with you, but, in the case of Learning House, it worked really well. And the, and the company just before that, which was called rentalhouses.com, it's just coincidence that they both have, have the word house in them. Um, we worked together really well. We balanced each other really well. We pushed each other. Um, our skill sets were, were very complementary and not overlapping. And it, and it worked. And I think I, we both just made each other better. And it, and it manifested in the company and the in the organization we built. You know, one of the things we talked about, um, I forget who we were interviewing. I think it might've been Mark Reiser and somehow the discussion landed on the topic of, and, and he was looking at it through the lens of an investor, right? Cause he spent his, his yeah. career in pri- private equity, but somehow we got on the topic of, you know, what's more important as an investor, the idea or the team. Um, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think it's um, it's I mean it's the execution is what I'm sort of thinking as you say that it's um, you've got to have an idea you've got to have a team and you've got to have uh, the team's got to be able to execute deliver and produce results and uh, a lot of teams can't do that so. Um, I, I think it's more about the team if I were to sort of give yeah. you my answer. Yeah. That I don't think it's the idea. You've heard my thoughts on ideas. Yeah. Yeah. But that's 
that's what Mark said too. And of yeah. course, he was he was buying mature businesses. Yeah. You know, Learning House was far from mature, but um, yeah. So so when you scaled Learning House, going back to the team and the execution, mm-hmm. what are so, what are your thoughts on? You know how you scaled it from a people standpoint, and 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 what you know what lessons did you learn from you know from the people side of things? Yeah, that's interesting. We uh, we hired we we grew the people side really fast, um, and it was always difficult. I was always pushing back. I was the financial. I was the CEO. Um, it was kind of like my partner and I were two guys riding on a horse. Um, I was riding up front. I had the reins, but wherever that horse went, we both went, you know, if that horse went in the ditch, we went in the ditch. If that horse bucked, we were both going off, you know? And so we were partners, but, but I sort of had the last say I also owned the largest stake of the company. And um, so I was always pushing back. Steve was always wanting to hire more. He was always wanting to invest more, hire more, probably even grow faster. And I was pushing back. It ended up being a great tension though. That tension was very valuable. It's like the kite flies highest against the wind, right? I mean, we, we needed that tension. So, yeah. So, so yeah. So, you know, going back to this team, um, how, how do you, how do you build a team that, that, that can execute? Yeah, that's, that's, that's difficult. And that's a great question. Um, I, I, strongly believe that team needs to be face-to-face if it's an early stage business. I couldn't imagine doing any kind of a startup nascent company today and doing it virtual. Um, One of my favorite sayings is if you want something, there's no substitute for being face-to-face. And and I think it applies today as much as it has ever applied. So um, you gotta, you, you, you gotta have a, a tight group that trusts each other and give people the reins, give them the authority, give them the freedom to 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 go and to and to make decisions. And that's what we did. We were going so fast. We had to sort of turn it over to young, young people that were new in the organization to run the the different divisions of the company. Otherwise, we couldn't. Otherwise, we wouldn't have gone anywhere. It wouldn't. It, right. We couldn't do it ourselves. Um, just the two of us. So we had to trust the people, give them the um, ability to, to, to make decisions and I guess make mistakes as well. And how, many, um, how big was it when you bought it and when you, when you had about a dozen employees when I bought it, Tom, and I ran it up to about 300 employees wow. myself. And today it's owned by, Wiley, but when I say today, my data is two or three years old, but uh, you know, it had six, 700 people a few years ago. Mm-hmm. They were all based here in Louisville, Kentucky, and they were all in the office that I, that I uh, acquired uh, or I rented downtown Louisville. I don't think any of them are in that office now for obvious reasons. Um, they're working remote. Um, but um, I, I took it up to, to 300, maybe a little under, under that, um, in the two years that I worked under the private equity owners. And um, it just continued to grow after that. I have this, I have this sort of theory about 
uh, I, I call it the gears of business, you know, sort of, uh, and, and it relates to the number of people in a business, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like that initial, you know, zero to, you know, that, that founding team time frame, you know, yeah. one, two, three people. And then you go from three people to now you're hiring somebody outside of the core group. And that lasts kind of up until the, you know, teen stage. And then once you get to somewhere, you know, in the twenties to thirties stage, you know, you shift again, yeah. um, you know, uh, and then, I, I, I've only been in business involved, really involved in, in management of business up to, you know, sort of the 60, 70 person size, you know, do you, I imagine it, it kind of would continue to go and go and go again. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't really like it as it got much above that 50 to 75 person. Cause you can know those people and call them by their first names, but you get much past a hundred or something and you're not going to, call everybody by their first name. You're not even going to know them in any way. Um, and as a CEO, do you, you know, it's, uh, how did you find personally making those transitions? You know, were you able to, uh, you know, what did you, what did you learn about that? What did you, what were you good at? What, what did you need to work on? Do you think? I think I was probably better earlier. Uh, Tom, I think I was I was more comfortable. I enjoyed it earlier, smaller. Um, I didn't enjoy it, to be honest with you, as it started to grow too big. It was uh, pretty intense. It was a lot of travel. We were traveling to schools, doing contracts. I did all the contracts. I visited all the schools. You visit with the presidents, the chief academic officers, and all the key uh, people. And that was grueling. Um, that became, it's, it's sort of a young person's business and younger than, than I am today. Um, so I didn't really enjoy it as, it as it got bigger. So I was happy to sell it, to be honest with you, and, uh, or, or turn it over to, to others. Um, and I, I think my skills were more in the early stage, finding it, financing it, doing the deal, um, strategy, focusing the business. And um, I didn't, despite the fact that I very much value up the operating side of businesses and as opposed to sort of consulting side, I never really wanted to be the private equity or the venture capitalist or the consultant. I never wanted to do that. I always wanted to be on the other side of the table running something. Despite the fact that I value that, I um, I think when you do that and the company is really growing and it's going fast, it's it's brutal. It's tough. It's tough. It's like we were a car, you know, going 150 miles an hour. How long can you go 150 miles an hour in a car, or even 100? You can do it. You, everybody can do it. You can take your car, any one of us today, and get our car up to 100. But I can guarantee you don't do it very long. It's just difficult. And that's mm. what happens when you're growing a business at a rapid pace. It's like it's like driving a car at a fast pace. Every, you can do it for a while, but it, it takes a lot of skill to keep that, keep that machine rolling at a high rate without something blowing up. All right. David, I want to switch gears here a little bit. Um, you know, we talked about 
you buy in the company and you felt like you made money on day one because you, you you bought a good company at a, at a fair price. Um, talk to us a little bit about the exit, how you knew that it was the right time to sell, um, how, you know, how the buyer found you. Yeah, sure. Kind of, kind of the whole exit and what you learned from that. So I've always sort of played my own banker. I've never really liked bankers, kind of like I don't like the private equity guys or the VC guys or the, you know, I'm just, I like, I'm kind of independent. So I go to conferences and I, and I can spot the bankers in the conference hall. They wear the blue suits. And so I would, I would always be in the booth. I was, I was always in our booth, whatever company I'm running, I'm in the booth, I'm at the conference, I'm in the 10 by 10 and I'm meeting customers or prospects. That's just wired into me. Um, and that's where you sell your company, as far as I'm concerned, as opposed to calling a banker, because these these investors troll those conferences and they look for businesses and they're obvious when they do it, or they used to be, they stand out like a sore thumb. So I remember I was in Vegas and I had this guy come up to me and he was obviously a private equity guy, he wasn't in the, the business of online program management. And we started talking. He was with the private equity firm that ended up buying us. And he's running the company. He's still running it today. He's done a really good job. Um, and but he he met me and he, he and he got to know me and and um, we ended up we ended up doing a doing a deal. And uh, I drove the whole deal. I mean, I I use lawyers. I use them, but I I read every detail of the. Uh, asset purchase agreement or equity, whatever kind of agreement it is. Um, I, I read every detail and I understand every detail of it and I go and negotiate it. Um, and so I was the point on selling rentalhouses.com and I was the point on selling learning house. And, and um, I, I maybe could have done better if we had hired a banker, but I was very happy both times with those exits, very happy. And so were my investors. Um, we had a deal to sell Learning House a year before we sold it and the deal failed in diligence for a couple of reasons that were um, that, that, that I'm glad it failed because we ended up getting a lot more money 12 months later. Mm. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question or not, but. No, you did. You did. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I was just kind of, I was kind of connecting the dots a little bit because, you know, you talked about, you were kind of ready to sell, you know, yeah. you felt, you felt like you had, you had added the value that you could, you know, that, that you liked and were good at. And, and it was kind of getting to that stage where you mentioned earlier, it really was becoming capital intensive yeah. and it needed, you know, it needed, it needed the backer with deep pockets yeah. and, um, and, 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 and you, you know, you, you made a great return on, yeah. on, on and they, now, they put their I, guy in. They put their guy in beside me on day one, and he was my number two for two years. and And I knew he was going to take over, and I was fine with that because they bought the company. It was their company at that point, and they had the prerogative to do that. and And they and they did. They were very savvy operators, and they have done extremely well. This this private equity firm that bought us out has has been very big in 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 the education space. Mm-hmm. So you uh, you know you mentioned earlier if you were to go back you know and have that beer with yourself at the Biltmore um, twenty five years ago. Um, by the way, you you really haven't changed any. You got the same hair. You know you you're you're roughly the same weight. <laughs> 
you were. I mean, you know, maybe maybe you've got a few more wrinkles, but honestly, you look about the same as you did when you graduated. So, you know, you you wouldn't give yourself any really different advice other than to spend a little bit more time at uh, at the golf course. Um, but I know that obviously you have learned a lot over over the years, what are kind of like, you know, some of the core business principles that you, you know, that, that you live by? Yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of give you a few of them. I've mentioned a lot of them along the way, but I'll just kind of fire away at a few because uh, in the interest of time here, I um, have always valued hard work and grit over intelligence. I'll take a hard worker over the smart person. Um, in fact, if anybody's promoted to me as being smart, I'm very suspect of them. And um, I, I'll take the hard worker and that's always paid off. Um, it's probably how I sort of look at myself too, to be honest with you. Um, hey, you're plenty smart. Don't and worry. I realized that, but I've, I've, I've generally outworked people is really, in my opinion, how I've sort of um, achieved what I've achieved. I, I've worked hard, really, really hard. Um, you've got to create the opportunity. It's not going to knock. Not many opportunities have ever knocked for me. They've never really come to the door and presented themselves. I, I have created them. And I, 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 I think I created this learning house opportunity and I created several others that we haven't talked about, but you've got to really just go find them and create them. Um, you know, I, I, I hope that that makes sense. I've told you about how I feel about execution, um, Trump's ideas, in my opinion, every every, every time. Um, networking is critical, always network, um, always have those business cards uh, handy and pass them out. Um, you've got to be in the game. And that's what I told Joanna earlier in the call that I'm, 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 I want to be in the game. I don't want to, you know, be retired. I don't really like that term retired. I'm not comfortable with that, even though I could retire. So I'm, I'm still in the game. I'm not in the game like I was, but you got to be in the game. You can't be sort of up in the stands talking about the game. You, if you really want to own a company and run a company and grow a company, then you got to go do that. You, um, and in, in some way you got to do that. You don't have to be the CEO, but you got to be um, in it. Um, trust your gut. I told you that earlier. It's always paid off for me. Um, be sort of an adventurer or an explorer. Um, I've always done that. I've always sort of pushed the edge a little bit of, of, of being an adventure. And I don't, I don't go climb mountains. I don't maybe adventure like you've done, Doug. But in a way, I, I have pushed the edge, I think, pretty hard. Um, nothing's easy. If anybody ever tells me something's easy, they don't understand it or it's some anomaly because nothing's easy and nothing good, especially is easy in life. Um, it's going to take, it's going to take time and, 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 and hard work. Um, I don't take big risks is another one. I, some people think I'm more entrepreneurial than I think I am. I never really thought that I took much risk in any of this. Um, despite putting down a pretty sensible piece of capital, I just didn't think it was a really big risk. Um, I've talked about focus. Focus is everything for me and details matter. Um, details are really important to me. I've admonished more people probably in that work for me 
over over lack of focus on details than almost anything because it's just it just really bugs me when people don't focus on the details they matter um those are some of the things that that i have sort of that are important to me um one of the sayings i like is fair is where they put blue ribbons on pigs you know i don't really want to talk about life not being fair because it's not it's not it's not supposed to be you know it's like people will say well that's not fair well did you expect it to be fair who, who told you it was going to be fair um so um and then that's good some one more one more somebody told me 20 years ago in business just eat the elephant one bite at a time don't feel like you got to knock it all out today or this month just just that's back to sort of the edu- the execution mentality just just mm-hmm. keep just keep executing keep eating the elephant bite at a time one bite mm-hmm. at a time that theme has paid off for me in many in many ways i think about that a lot so those are some of the things that that um that I have um, utilized over the years and that I believe in and that have, I think, worked for me. Uh, well, so so what, what's next? What what's are, next? What's next? What, what elephant? I mean, you said you want to stay in the game. Yeah, and, that's a good question. So I'm, and you want to still learn golf. I'm curious, like, like what's next? What's the I, next I need to probably, um, I'm, I'm in the process of, um, of trying to do what I've done a couple of times before is uh, grow a business and raise capital, grow a business and sell it. And I'm doing that right now with Cognition, the company that I'm running, the mm-hmm. medical device company, and probably won't be doing that much longer. I've been there five years. Mm-hmm. Um, probably what's next, uh, Joanna, is um, taking some of this experience and and helping helping others more than I do getting back into the venture community, maybe more than I have been over the last few years. I've kind of dropped out of it. I've kind of gone cold turkey out of it since exiting Learning House a few years ago. I was I was really burned out and needed to sort of walk away from this community that I had been so involved in. And I'll probably get back involved in, in some way. Um, with with some of my experience i don't think i'm going to do another company i don't know though because sometimes i think about that um i might do another company meaning meaning go probably buy something i'm not really a mad scientist founder so i don't really have the idea to found a company i've thought about that many times but i I'm not the guy, but I, I I am the person that can take somebody else's idea and rationalize it and execute on it. And I, I do think about that and maybe doing that again, but um, I'm not sure yet. I'm going to take a little more time and, and think about it. I've got a few sort of things that I want to check the well, box on. I think you'd on. be a great coach for Excuse anybody. Me? I think you'd be a great coach. You're oh, thank you, wisdom, Joanna. Just the guidance your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I need to do more of that. And I, I I think that um, is something that I would like to do more of. I got a little, I got a little, um, I needed to get away from it and I've been away from it for enough time now that I think I can go. Your way, your way will be great. Thank you, Joanna. Just mellow and lovely and so genteel, all wrapped up, but real. 
Thank I think you. The world needs, I think the world needs more of that. And there's thank a lot you. of people that could use it. So yeah, you, thank you, you very never much. Know, I may be knocking on your door soon. So. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, I've enjoyed talking to all three of you tonight. It's been fun. I think awesome. y'all have got a great idea of what you're doing, and I'm sure you're going to learn a ton from it. And I can see how rewarding it will be. I thank you all for what you're doing. Thank you all very much. Take care. Keep in touch. Bye-bye.